She describes herself as curious, creative, and caring with the strength of gentleness. Dr. Dihamko wants to bring the intuitive aspects of medicine back to health. Those aspects of health which are less tangible. She has the goal of teaching other healthcare professionals how to incorporate the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of human health into their practice. As human beings, we are bone, fluid, membrane, but we're also intellect, emotion, and spirit. The human experience is all of these, and because of this, she addresses the patient from the perspective of the mind, body, and spirit. Enjoy this conversation as we learn a true holistic approach to personal health. Welcome to episode 82 of the Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine Podcast, where we share clinical stories and pearls related to osteopathic medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Green, a second-year osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine resident at Michigan State University. Our guest today has the mission to help bring the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of health back to medicine in practical and tangible ways. She is a graduate of Harvard College and Emory University School of Medicine. She completed her pediatric residency at Albert Einstein, and she is a graduate of Dr. Andrew Weil's Integrative Medicine Fellowship. Here she explored a vast array of powerful modalities beyond conventional Western medicine. The one that moved and impacted her future most was cranial osteopathy. Today, she is a faculty member of the Osteopathic Cranial Academy and is the co-founder of the Dig On series, an osteopathic course which explores consciousness through osteopathy. She collaborates with Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment as a co-host of the Parenting Podcast. In addition, she has a weekly YouTube live stream called The Multidimensional MD. One of her greatest interests is addressing emotional trauma release, which she does by teaching trauma release exercises, both in person and online. She is the founder of the All Worlds Health Family, which includes her practice in Roswell, Georgia, a nonprofit and an online school. Later this year, she plans to release her first book on holistic healing titled I Am Intuitive, a multidimensional guide to embrace your inner light. It's a great honor to have you on the podcast this evening, Dr. Arlene Dihamko. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I love your podcast and you do such a great job and it's really so fun and an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much. You came highly recommended from Dr. Miriam Mills, who's been on the podcast a few times. Uh, I love Miriam. <laughs> yeah, she said, you need to get Dr. Dihamko on the podcast. She does something similar to you. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> In <laughs> yes. the podcasting world. Yes. That's right. That's right. And and reading through your CV and the All World's Health family website, you're wearing so many different hats with the nonprofit, the school, writing books, your YouTube channel, your private practice. I'm like, wow. And you have a family and four kids, I learned. I'm like, how does Dr. Dihamko sleep? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's really, I mean, it's I, I do things like I choose them purposefully. And um, I have four girls and my oldest is graduating now. And every day I wake up and I set my intention to just align my will with that of the oneness, the stillness. And I let that kind of guide whatever my actions are for the day. So sometimes it's spending time with my family. Sometimes it's in my practice with patients. Sometimes it's speaking and, and doing these podcasts. Yeah. I mean, what a beautiful way to live life with, with such intentionality and in everything that you do. It must give your life like so much meaning and excitement as well. Um, at this point, it's like I don't really know how else to live because it really helps me feel like I'm in the flow of living. And this is what I love to extend and express to my patients and my practice. This is what I love to write about. And this is what I love to help teach in osteopathy as well. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful and very inspiring. And so, Dr. Dihamko, if we could just get to know you a little bit more as a person, how, and this is a, this is a tough question to start out with, 
but how would you describe yourself in one or two sentences for our audience? Well, I would say that I am curious, creative, and caring with the strength of gentleness. Because you may not know what you see you know, behind the scenes. And my mission is really to help bring the intuitive aspects of health back to medicine in practical and tangible ways to help bring more peace, joy, and love into everyone's everyday life. Yeah. So what, what exactly, how would you, how would you explain the intuitive aspects of medicine? How would you explain that? Um, well, it's also those, those less tan, what we might call less tangible parts. Cause we're still, it's like, you can't put a finger on them always. So it's mm -hmm. the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects. It's how our bodies speak to us, how our mind even speak to us, or the whispers behind your thoughts. It's how the oneness, this stillness speaks to us. And what I love to do is to make that more accessible for people because like what your question was, it, you know, it can sound kind of elusive for people. And um, it sounds like, oh, I don't know how to incorporate that. Like, how do we bring that more into medicine? How do we bring that more into relationships? How do we bring that in our family? How do you bring that into health? And even personally, how do you bring that into your life? So it's, it is like really getting into the juiciness of living. And, um, and we can also teach this. So it's, it's being able to feel that, like if, if I bring it into the osteopathic world, um, it's helping people learn how to perceive that first for themselves and then for their patients, like perceiving those what initially might feel like intangible layers. But as you become more familiar with them, um, they start to feel more tangible. And then you can work with them and incorporate them into your healing just as you would other layers like bone, fluid, membrane. Um, but as human beings, we are the physical, that bone fluid membrane, the, the body, we're also the mind, we're also the spirit. So if anyone asks me, you know, do you think this is a physical problem? Or do you think this is something mental or emotional? I, I tell them, it's always everything, because you cannot tease those layers apart completely, as long as we are having a human experience. So true. We are mind, body, and spirit. But I mean, we've we've both gone through medical school, and what we learn seems to be mostly tangible, measurable. You know, I mean, isn't that what imaging is? And the labs that we get, it's all it's all measured numbers. And I think I I one hundred percent agree that the mental, the emotional, the spiritual are are very, 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 maybe even cornerstone aspects of being a, a person, but it, it's, it is so difficult to explain. Yeah. And I'd like to normalize that conversation because part of it is just being able to talk about the most important things in your life, even if they're difficult. Yeah. You know, when I, when I get a new patient in the clinic and I'm explaining what my specialty is, and I always feel like I'm leaving something out. You know, um, I've explained it at the beginning of my residency as I am this blend of, well, you know what a chiropractor is, right? You know what a physical therapist is, right? What about acupuncturist and a masseuse? And everybody's like, yeah, I understand what all that is. Well, maybe blend that into one healthcare provider, that's kind of what I do. But I feel like that's also a very limited definition of what I do. And then I, I've kind of morphed into, well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a movement specialist. I'm, I'm looking at your musculoskeletal system. And I'm looking at alignment, I'm looking at tight muscles and tension and possibly swelling, and just trying to make sure that your body is moving as it as it should. And even when I say that, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm missing a lot, you know, and so I'm always, it's that's been a real struggle for me. Like, how do, how do I explain to people my, my specialty, because I think it does get into some of those areas of the body that 
maybe aren't so tangible or so easily explained, like the spirit, the, the intellect, the fascia even. Right? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you how I explain it. My, my two minute elevator speech for patients, mm-hmm. I explain to like every new Great. patient when they're like, what is this? So um, I'll tell them, well, I'll check for the alignment of the bones, any tension or kinks in the fascia and dura that hold everything in place. Also check for the movement of the fluids, like the arteries that bring nutrients, veins that move toxins, lymph flow drains inflammation, and cerebral spinal fluid flow so the nerves can communicate well. I'll check how the nervous system is functioning and will help to reset that. We'll check and see how the organs feel. They need to be in tune and in rhythm with each other to feel balanced and whole. And so that's what I can help you with. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love that. And if they're coming in for, you know, if they're interested in like an emotional part, then I'll, I'll add that in as well. So that's my summary. And usually most people, um, they understand that. And depending on their background and depending on their constitution, then I'll use the words to explain it in, um, in ways that they can hear it. So, um, so if it's somebody like more engineering type, then we can talk about anatomy, physiology. If it's somebody that's more like um, more feeler type or they, they like like the metaphysical world, then maybe I can use more D terms and um, stuff like that. Uh, so we can, we can talk about the same thing in just different kinds of languages. And what it helps you do is just see a bigger picture of the whole elephant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I always bring up with my new patients as well, even if they might not be coming in seeking like mental health, I think, I don't think any of them are seeking mental health care, but I always, I always bring up very simply, I tell them that anxiety and depression can always heighten how we experience pain or discomfort in our body. I'm not saying that you have anxiety or depression. It's just something that I'd like you to be aware of because we're not just bones and muscles. You know, we're also intellect and spirit. People seem to, people seem to really understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just leave it at that. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, you know, I do have some anxiety and depression and Hmm, I need to think about how that's affecting my, my pain. And other people will just kind of nod their head and say, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. And then we just move on to the, the physical exam. But I don't know. Do you, do you, what's, what's your approach? Well, I mean, I tell people it's the same thing I said before. Like we can't tease apart the layers. So there will always be aspects of all those layers always mm-hmm. because you're a human being. And mm-hmm. if you feel it's part of your humanity, if you feel for yourself or you feel for someone else, it means that you love. So we don't have to be afraid of feeling. It makes us human. Yeah. I guess the art of medicine is teasing out maybe what's driving someone's, let's say they come in with the, the classic chronic low back pain. The art of medicine seems to be to kind of tease out, is this mechanical, like structural, or is it emotional? Right? So there will always be aspects of everything because the Mm. pain will also, they'll have elements of emotion to it. There might be some frustration or maybe there's something that started before then that anxiety and depression that you're, you were talking about. Um, But I mean, one, one story that I often tell is about this grandmother who came to see me and she had chronic diverticulitis and she had gone to all the specialists and GI and on chronic antibiotics. And, um, of course, we, I treated the, with this, um, with osteopathy, the things that you all know, um, increase the flow to the area, open up the stuck areas, increase that, you know, get that sacral pelvic motion, um, get that breath going. And so that helped her. We tweaked a little things in her diet, just less junk food, maybe have some probiotic foods. But the number one homework I gave her was to do something for herself every day. And I didn't matter what it was as long as she decided it was for her because she was taking care of three grandsons 
And I don't know what the situation was, but it was very stressful for her. And I asked her, are you doing anything for yourself? She said, no. So I was like, your number one homework is to do pick one thing for yourself and just do that. You can lay on the couch. You could read a book. You could go for a walk. You could call a friend. You could go for lunch. Whatever it is, as long as you do something for you every day. So with that, we, we use osteopathy to kind of help jumpstart things, get things flowing again. But, she, but it was like, what else was going on here? How was she having trouble digesting life? What was she holding on to and not letting go of? Like what was, you start to see how you can use the words you would describe the symptoms with um, as, and like see how does that apply metaphorically in your life and how can you tend to that? as well. And it really adds a lot of depth to healing. So, I mean, this is something that anyone could do. And sometimes people ask me, well, um, like, especially in like conventional medicine, they're like, well, we just don't have time to do that. I told mm -hmm. them this advice that I gave her took me two minutes. And then afterwards, she learned how to understand her symptoms. And she learned not to be afraid of her symptoms, because it was just her body telling her what to tend to what need what she needed to um, look at and help and, and help with herself. So it was just sometimes it was, oh, whoops, I ate a little off. Let me tune my diet up. Sometimes it was like, oh, I didn't I didn't do anything for myself today. Let me do something fun for me. Um, so she learned what she needed. And she if the symptoms started to come back a little bit, she could tweak it herself. And it was so empowering. So I think maybe I saw her just a handful of times and, and she knew how to get a handle on it. Like she knew how to treat herself. Really? So you think that her doing something for herself every day significantly improved her diverticulitis? So it was a combination of things. So the osteopathy, so I mm -hmm. did treat her. So most, the majority of the visit, each appointment was spent with hands-on treatment. So that was what I was calling like, we kind of jump-started things, get that flow going so she can get some um, relief from her symptoms. Because sometimes when you're like too much in it, like everything's on fire, it's like you can't even see the landscape. So, so just to like give her some relief of the symptoms, but then it was like, well, how did she get the diverticulitis? Why is it there? Mm -hmm. We need to address that too. Yes, we can talk about it physically, like um, from from that bot, body um, osteopathic perspective of like, oh, the flow was blocked here. She needed more arterial flow. She needed more lymphatic drainage. She, her fascia was tight, you know, the visceral aspects. Um, so we addressed all of those things, but to maintain it, because sometimes it would start to come back. Mm -hmm. That's when she learned how to to, to um, use it as a compass and to how to take care of herself so she could tune it herself. Yeah. She That's started to not be afraid of the symptoms because she learned what it meant to her. Yeah. I mean, you, you really empowered her. Yeah. It wasn't ownership. about... Right. Making her rely on my treatments. It's like, why is this here? Yeah, I understand from the, that physical medical perspective, but why is this here from that mental, emotional, spiritual perspective? So would you say that, that you, when you're addressing a, a, a patient, you're looking at them, you're always addressing the mental, emotional, spiritual, as well as the corporeal bodily always always yeah. one layer might call out more immediately than others yeah. as like more yeah. urgent to to deal with um and it will just depend on the person but it's always all the layers you can't tease them apart because it's a human experience yeah that's great i really so i really it, appreciate that perspective yeah i really wanted to let people know this and um and because you're a resident and speaking to other students too, because sometimes people feel like, but it's too hard. I'm like, no, that advice took two minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's something anyone can do. It's just about kind of pausing and being able to look at it like that and then give them something simple to do. You take a simple do thing and you do it consistently every day and you can have miraculous results.
But it also took you listening very keenly to what the patient was telling you that she's taking care of three grandchildren and maybe the stress that that has caused her. Yes. Yes. But your, your osteopathic perception can help you with that because in the feeling, and this is part of what I'm teaching in the Digon series and the Sensing Releasing Emotional Shock course, is that when you put your hands on, you can actually learn to feel some of these other layers. And so it can help guide my questions. So um, then, and they'll, it'll resonate very quickly because I already can feel it in the tissue. I can feel it in the body. Like, oh, there's, there's, I mean, it's very easy to see even from the description, from the, the forms too, or in the simple story of like diverticulitis, um, inflamed pain, and she's under stress. So it could just be simply like, hey, how's your life stressful? Um, but you can also feel it in the tissues. There's something you can feel, you can feel what the emotion feels like. And that's something that I can help uh, osteopaths feel just as they would any other layer, just as you would bone fluid membrane. How, can I ask how you, how did you learn what does, I don't know, like PTSD or anger, how that manifests in the tissue, what that feels like? How did you learn that? Oh, you know, I paid attention from the beginning because when I was in medical school, we just started our, bless you. Thank we you. just started our, our clinical part. So we had learned how to do such a beautiful history. So it was one of the first histories I ever did. And we were in, um, we were in the urban hospital and it was my turn to do the interview. And there was a patient there with pneumonia. She had dark skin and we're in this urban hospital. I start my interview. I go through every single question that they say you'll never ask again because it's like takes too long. And one of the questions was, have you ever been sexually abused? And she said, yes, she's in the hospital for pneumonia, but I'm doing a perfect history. And then the next question was, have you ever told anyone? She said, no. And then I looked after that and there was nothing on my list. It didn't tell me what to do. It didn't give me any direction. And so I like looked at the other medical students and I looked at my attending. It's like with like pleading eyes, like, help me. I don't know what to do. I don't have enough life experience to say anything. I just wasn't sure. And nobody, nobody said a word, not even the attending. And so I just kept going with my history and I felt terrible because the first thing we were supposed to do was like, you know, first do no harm. And in asking these questions, and not saying anything about it and not responding to it, I felt like I was telling her that she didn't matter. Like it didn't matter that this terrible thing happened to her and she had never told anyone in her life and she had revealed it to us. So we right. had an ethics class later that day and I thought, you know, this is great. I'll ask them because they'll know what to do. And so they said, oh, that's so great. I'm glad. What a great question, Arlene. So glad that you brought this up. And so I kept waiting. So she's still in the hospital. What should we do? And they didn't say anything. And I got really angry just thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in medical school and here we are and we're not helping this woman. We're, just, we're giving her antibiotics, but we told her she doesn't matter. No, we didn't say it in those words, but we did. And so I decided that I was going to figure out how to deal with trauma and stress and I was never going to be the kind of physician to be like that ever again. And so, you know, today without any training, if I were to say to anyone like, how would I have done it differently if I had no other training, I would have said, I would have given her the gift of my presence and just looked at her and said, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. And even if I didn't know like what else to do, I would say, I, I would tell her, I'm not sh sure what else you know, I can do right now, but I'm going to see what I can do to help you if you would like, you know, just something else, just that, a gift of responding that somebody had said something really important to you. And so then you might think like, well, what does that even have? She's just in the hospital for pneumonia. What would that ever have to do with pneumonia? Well, do you know how grief feels in the lungs? 
Do you know that tension in the fascia that makes it difficult to breathe? Sure. Maybe she wasn't clearing things as well as she could have had she been able to process this terrible thing. Wow. What a fascinating story. I think that you touched on so many important points. But something that really stood out to me was the word that you used of presence. It's so, I feel like it's so difficult for, I'm speaking from personal experience, um, for us and for myself to be present, truly present in the moment. I always feel like I need to be doing something, I need to be reading something, or I need to be, I'm on my phone answering emails, and man, sometimes I'm just not even present in my own body, but I'm not present in front of the patient before me. And I think that that's so powerful. I, yeah. I know what that feels like, you know, just having gone through medical training and um, what it feels like not to be present and just feeling like you have to push things aside and, and, and seeing things during medical school and residency and being in the hospital um, and seeing how uh, attendings responded to traumatic situations, um, like just completely ignoring their humanity and emotional side and kind of like barreling right into like M&M and, um, you know, forgetting that somebody died, we're just going to like talk about M&M now. So, um, I, you know, I witnessed those things. And when things didn't sit well with me, it's like, I, I looked back on them. I'm like, how would I do have done that differently? What could I have done differently? And to cultivate presence, it's a moment to moment practice. So I like to tell people, I'm like, well, you, you don't really, it's about doing nothing than about doing something because it's just about being. And so even if it's like, oh, but I can't stop this, this list from running through my head, it's actually just letting it like releasing the pressure of, ha of, of you having to be different than where you are at that moment. So if you thought about like all, this is like the mindfulness perspective of, if you thought about like your thoughts, like as butterflies flying around, and there's so many of them, like busy, busy, just open a window or a door, and then they can fly in and out as they'd like to, but there would be some flow. And as we know, in osteopathy, the health is in the flow. And that's also true for our thoughts and emotions. So when anything gets stuck, it's a stuck point. That's a lesion. So if it, you can go through any emotion, you can go through any thoughts. And as long as there is flow, there's resilience and there's health. And that, that health is, is always there. So um, you can go through very difficult emotions. And I, I talk about it like a wave. So you go through this peak of a wave. Well, that peak, that can go through you. You can, you can ride it like, a, like your surfing life, but you can also kind of get stuck at the peak of the wave. And that's when it feels very difficult to, um, to process or get over things, or you're always seeing through things through that lens of a heightened fight or flight response, or maybe, um, an excessive, like, um, more like, like frozen response where you can't get out of bed. Um, but it could wobble in between the two where everything either feels like you're overreacted to things or you're over responsive to things to low energy. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. So that's that wobble of the uh, autonomics, the sympathetic, parasympathetic. And you can start to, to look at symptoms in that way too. It's like, huh, how does this, what does, how would the stress response contribute to this? So it starts to give you some more understanding. You can satisfy like all parts of your brain and talking about it like this. If you just add like that physiology to it, and then you can from there kind of like add the, oh, and then what does that, wh where did that come from? Where, where in the patient's story of their life could that have come from? Um, so you start to see a bigger understanding and yeah. perspective. Yeah, I, I really applaud you because I don't think there are many physicians who would even make a relation between, and maybe I'm wrong, but sexual abuse and pneumonia. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there are many, yeah. right, that, that would make that association even. But I think it's so interesting, the point that you make, well, how does grief and stress and 
sexual abuse and trauma manifest? How could that manifest in the lungs? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what a what a fascinating. Well, we got a great glimpse of that in pandemic with COVID, and yeah. how heavy that felt for people um, in the chest and the, and the lungs, um, and. I mean, you could even just talk about it. And if people have lost loved ones, it's like, where do you feel it in your body? Mm-hmm. And are you holding uh, your breath when you start thinking about it? Sure. Yeah. So. Wow. Dr. Dihamko, I had so many other introductory questions and we just went down <laughs> so many great rabbit holes. That was so good. Um, I'm going to circle back around. Absolutely. And because I'm... I know you have a podcast. I know you met so many interesting people. So I, I do want to hear how oh, this is really shifting gears here, but um, any, any book recommendations that you would have for us? Uh, there are a couple that I read early on that really influenced the way I thought about things. And one is Dying to Be Me by Anita Morjani. And she went through experience where she was dying from cancer. She went through all different kinds of therapies from um, chemo, holistic and everything. And she had a near-death experience. And in that time, she heard a message that she had a choice. She could, you know, move on or she could go back. She could stay. But if she stayed, she had to be herself. And so she went back and it was a miracle. She, she was cachectic. She was, she, you know, everyone was crying because she was dying. So she, but she started eating. She started gaining weight. They tested her again and the doc- doctors got really distraught because they said, there's a really big problem. We can't find your cancer. And they, know her. they were like, she and her husband were like, what do you mean? How is that a problem? That's great. And they said, no, if we can't find it, we don't know how to treat you. So she, she had this miraculous healing. She just came back and became well because she she came back and she listened to that message. And she's like, I'm going to live as myself. Um, and I've had I've had that experience like with one patient. Um, this is like it's, it's like a story. Sometimes I hesitate to to share, but. It's, it's reminiscent of this book, too, because um, this patient came to me in a similar position. And I'm not a cancer specialist, nor do I pretend to be one. Um, and they came to me for comfort. She was going to hospice. She was on oxygen. She was cachectic. She had a large mass in her, her lungs. She couldn't breathe. Um, she had to be propped up and carried in, put placed on the table, and we had to prop her up on pillows. So I did what I usually do and just that flow to the body anywhere that's stuck asking that flow can be opened up with all those layers bone fluid memory as we talked about um it felt like those emotional layers as well um and and there was a lot she was like she wasn't it felt like who her essence was as a person wasn't who she was presenting i knew she was sick and cachectic but it's like her personality what it felt like in her body what from what i could feel didn't match up to who she was. And um, anyway, we, I, I was just, I always ask for like, high is healing now? Like whatever, you know, it's up to the stillness. So she came back for her follow-up. I can't remember how much time passed, maybe a few weeks, a month. Um, and I couldn't recognize her because she was no longer cachectic and she was off her oxygen. Her color was so much better. And she said she had had a scan in between and she still had metastatic cancer. But the large mass that was in her lungs was gone. And the radiologist report said obvious resection, prior mass, you know, like was gone. And I was like, what? I was like, that's incredible. So I don't know how the story ended up because I, I, I didn't see her again. I know she's still alive because I heard from another colleague. But um, I, t- I talked to her and I said, it was a very similar situation. I said, you're not who you are present, who you are as your essence is not who you're acting, like you're presenting yourself as. I was like, you know, if you want to continue to get better, I feel like you'll have to do it as yourself, like as who you really are. 
And she was afraid because she was already at peace with dying. And she said to me, but what if they don't like me? I don't think my own kids even know who I am. They don't really know like the real her. And I, and I was surprised because I thought, what have you got to lose? So I, I don't know the end of that story, but um, last I heard she's still around. So I'm hoping that, you know, she took that uh, to heart and just, I mean, I think it's a really beautiful expression. Um, that was a long answer for what book would you recommend? <laughs> no, but it was a fascinating story. So she had a prior mass in her lungs. Yes. Um, she had a prior uh, she's resection a of the mass. Mm -hmm. Okay. She did not have, the mass in her lungs was not resected. It was not resected. No, the radiologist just said obvious resection prior mass. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Wow. So the radiologist said, well, well, it's not here. So it must have been taken out. How else could it be gone? Wow. And what was the time frame between imaging? Um, any, any idea? Are we talking months, years? No, no, no. It was just like probably months because she was on her way out um she was literally about to be in hospice but wow. maybe i saw her it might have been a month in between visits i'm not sure um but she was no longer on the hospice list wow I, so i don't know i she still had cancer so it became more like chronic um and uh but you you never underestimate like what what could happen you know so um and that was that was, it wasn't even what I was asking for because she was at peace with dying. And um, I was very clear that I was not an oncologist nor um, did I really treat cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, we understand. We're not asking you to. We would just like some comfort. Because hmm. wow. she was in so much pain. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. And then, so once she learned that once she learned that... Well, we uh, hope Anita Murjani, that was her story. Once she learned to be herself, oh, it's just a miraculous healing. And so this woman had the opportunity to, but her story is still unfolding, so I can't tell you. Yeah, <laughs> and it's been years. Yet. It's yeah. been years, though. It's been years since I saw her. So wow. I hope it, that sounds very hopeful to me. Um, the other yeah. book I'd recommend is along the same lines as Life is Your Best Medicine by Dr. Tironi Lodog. And I studied with her at Andrew Wiles Integrative Medicine Fellowship. Um, and Life is Your Best Medicine. And I feel like that the title really speaks volumes um, because it's it's looking at your life in different ways. And it's like, how, how can, it's not just, um, you know, the, your physical, but like, how am I, how are you living, how you're living, how your relationships are, your, um, what you're doing in life and how does that feed you and nourish you? Um, so it's reading the messages in your life. So sometimes things don't go your way or sometimes you hit a roadblock, but it's like, can you look at that differently? And that roadblock can become a stepping stone. And to, and for me, I, that's how I look at things. It's, is um, how can your, your life is always unfolding for you and I'm always seeing, th seeing things as, wow, there's another amazing thing around the corner. And even though this is a difficult moment, this is a stepping stone to whatever miraculous, amazing thing is next. Yeah. Interesting. Life is your best medicine. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Dr. Lodog, she, she did her GED at age 40. So finished high school age 40. She, did, she was a midwife. She was an herbalist. Um, Whoa. yeah, but then she did her GED age four. She's one of the, she's a very well sought out, um, speaker and in integrative medicine. Hmm. Gosh, I need to, you need yeah, to get on this podcast good. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for those two recommendations. What about a movie or documentary? A movie or documentary? Hmm. I didn't have one off the top of my head. Are there, I know there's the ones they have on like mushrooms are really interesting and forget the name of it oh there's there's one on netflix the fantastic fungi yeah the fantastic fungi and there's also another movie on um my friend the octopus oh one? yeah oh, that is those, fascinating as well those two with nature oh gosh so beautiful because you can see that 
consciousness and that yeah. health in nature and your interaction with it if you are aware man that's that resonates with me so much we actually had journal club today and we were reading this article called the the timeless or the title is the timeless teachings of at still and john is written by john lewis the author of the dry bone to the living man and he's a he is a an osteopath from wales and in this article he he talks about how at still was heavily influenced by the shawnee and how their perception of humankind being immersed in the world and being so intimately connected to the world around them definitely influenced Still's idea of how we should be respectful and um, in awe of the world around us. And, and I guess what uh, you, you yeah. commented on, you know, with um, the, I forget the name of the title of the, like my my friend, the octopus, or my teacher friend. Yes, the octopus, yes. I don't know if I got it right, but it's something like that. It's but it reminded me of that, 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 that connectedness with all beings around us. Um, yeah. Great recommendations. Yeah. And that what you said that still was, you know, influenced by these teaching and that awareness with all beings and the earth and nature. Right. And, I love that so much. And so like in our course and in the Dig On series of courses, we're exploring consciousness through osteopathy and also learning how to perceive the emotional body. That's where I start from. It's it's really helping people ground and center first and, and feel that connection. Because if you do, what you thought might be hard to perceive becomes easy. And so um, that's how I help people learn how to feel like these other layers. Interesting. Okay. I like that. Well, Dr. Jamco, I also wanted to ask you, I think you, you come from a family of physicians, I believe. Yes. Uh, how, how, mm -hmm. how did you become interested in, in medicine? Um, well, my grandfather was a physician. My parents were physicians. Um, my mom's an anesthesiologist. My dad was a nephrologist. And so they were more intensive care stuff. So it was both in my blood and a calling. And um, my background is Filipino. So my parents are like, the, they moved after medical school to the United, United States for their internship and residency. Um, but in the Philippines, like going back generations, you went back to the smaller islands. Then um, my dad said that the family split and some stayed in the little islands and towns and villages. And they tended to the land and there were gardeners and, you know, just so it hands on with nature. And then another part of the um, extended family, like went to the city and learned um, medicine, became physicians. And so I just always loved that part of my background because I felt like oh, I, that's what drew me towards um, integrated medicine, osteopathy, and medicine in general, um, because it's that, that intersection of everything, um, that nature and medicine. So not forgetting the nature part in medicine. Yeah. And I always thought, I probably had a shirt when I was three that said, I want to be a doctor when I grew up. So <laughs> <laughs> I, the more the question is like, when did you not want to be a doctor? I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> do you have do you have brothers and sisters and are they physicians i have an older brother and two younger sisters and um no my brother went to a couple years of medical school and then went to uh, computers and did great there and then two younger sisters doing and different things so nice. it, it was me it was me but it, you know my my parents are like intensivists <laughs> so me going this route was quite strange for them <laughs> yeah and I was gonna ask you that so how what do your parents think about how you practice medicine currently um they have learned to you know can I say I'm not sure if embrace is the right word they've learned to be okay with it um my dad he, my dad passed a couple years ago but he he used to call me a witch doctor <laughs> 
<laughs> he had no idea <laughs> what I was doing. But if they, if their friends like ran into trouble and they were completely out of options, guess whose door they're knocking on? <laughs> All of a sudden, I become really interesting. <laughs> so, um, but no, I, 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 I never, you know. It was more challenging in my earlier years, like in maybe medical school. And, but then through my journey of like getting to know myself and trusting my own intuition, I became more confident and just knowing that I know what I'd like to do for myself and it's okay if other people don't agree with me. Um, and, um, and I've also, so I was at peace with it um, before my dad passed. And when my dad passed, that was a, a huge experience for me because I, I, had some, I had some contact with him, just more in that spirit world. And I knew he was going to be a part of my life together. Like somebody had told me that before some kind of heal, a different, like kind of healer person had said, you're, you and your dad are going to do something together in medicine. And I always thought, I don't, how, how is that possible? Cause his, his world of medicine was like polar opposite of my world of medicine. And I was wondering where that intersection was going to be. And I was very interested in it, but I was curious, like, how will that, what would that look like? And then when he passed, it was, I mean, it was heartbreaking to me, but all of a sudden I understood, I was like, this is how he's going to be a part of my journey in medicine. Because of all the things that I went through, like with his passing, and then just also feel still feeling connected with him in the spiritual realm now. I see. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and your mom? And my mom is my my mom is here. So, um, and she's like, she she will talk she will talk to people about it, and um, and like I said, it's like when when people run out of options, there there's there's me, but if I, I, I learn not to, <laughs> I won't always offer my perspective unless asked for it, or if I feel called to say something, because if I just start spouting things, even though I feel like, oh, but it will be so helpful if they know this, then I am putting my will on top of another person's will. And that's not really fair. So, um, just because I know something that might be helpful, if someone's not really in the space to hear it, it may not be helpful to say at that point in time. So that's how I um, tend to it now. It's like, am I called to say this? Is it, is it helpful? Yeah, that's so wise of you. <clears throat> yeah, not, not to impose your will on someone else. And I, I feel like that's a very respectful um, way of dealing with and, and treating people around you and i feel like it's also just in line with what we were talking about that interconnectivity um with everybody around us and and having a very humble and and positive um, influence on people and that might be simply not not expressing what you're thinking yeah. And I understand that, like, sometimes when people don't have the framework or the foundation to hear or um, understand something, that it, it's, it's scary for them. And so I have that compassion for, you know, if somebody is not ready to hear it, like, it's okay with me, because it's all divine timing. And, um, and for my parents, I mean, they're, they've been so supportive of me, like through my whole life in so many different ways. So they, of course, were very supportive in medicine. They maybe were like hesitant about me going in this offshoot of medicine, osteopathy, integrative medicine, emotions. What is that? Um, so, but, but they understand the meaning of it. Like they, they, they're also very compassionate people for what, um, what suffering people are going through. And they, they always had this, um, perspective of giving back and, and providing service for people being of service to the community. So I learned that from them. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, um, and this, this also, what you're saying kind of leads me to another question, you know, you saying that 
when nobody else in the medical field can figure out what's going on, they send the patient to you. I, and that, that happens to us here at Michigan State. You know, we're usually kind of the end of the road after the patient has seen PM&R and orthospine and gone to PT and chiropractic and massage. Then they end up on our doorsteps. I almost wish that, you know, we were the first ones to see the patient. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, those are more the physician referrals because the patients, once they get to know you, they start to make you one of the first line referrals. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I absolutely so, agree. Yeah. But it, it leads me back to that the challenge of trying to explain to the medical community just what we do. Oh, yeah. And part of it's patience because to understand, they would have to understand certain things for themselves. Um, and that might be scary. So um, the, it's being able to look at your own life experience and seeing how these things apply. And when they reach kind of their that dark night of the soul where it's like they also feel like they've run out of options, things start to expand. You have to look up and expand your perspective. And we've seen that through the pandemic. So that was the silver lining of the pandemic. We There was something nobody understood, had ever dealt with before. The things that they had learned weren't working. It broke the paradigm. And so you started to have to think outside the box and it became um, like right now it's, it's, more, I feel like more physicians, um, more people in healthcare are looking outside the box. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe they're just not quite ready with their own understanding and their own experience to know and it's, these things. Yeah, and yeah. it's the teaching of it. It's like how how things are handed down. Um, so, I, I mean, I remember like my first year of medical school, um, I I had a great idea. Because I thought, oh, what about instead of comparing everything to the placebo effect, we we study the placebo effect and harness that innate capacity of the body to give error from within, and then we won't have to worry about the side effects. And I said that too. I had we had this discussion group and with the attending, and I thought at the very least we will have a great discussion because I knew this would change medicine. This would change everything. And then I was like, sort of puzzled because I was like, well. I don't, that was seemed like more like common sense. But my attending looked at me and he sort of turned his head and he was like, huh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And I looked at all my friends and colleagues, other medical students, and they turned their heads and they looked at the attending. And I was like, wait, what's going on? These are critical thinkers. They're, they're brilliant people. Why are they looking at the attending for an answer to something that's not a yes or no thing? It's more of like, let's expand our perspective. Um, so he said, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And no one said a word and we went and moved on to something else. And it like hit me in my gut. Like I was like, I don't know why there's something really different about the way I look at things. Hmm. But it feels like common sense. But I don't know. I know to me, I was like, what's wrong with me <laughs> at the time? Because I was like, I don't understand. Nobody's interested in these things but me. But it turns out like, People are, and honestly, like uh, in the beginning, like regular non-medical people, it's easier to talk to you about it in the um, in the beginning because uh, because those are the things that they're asking about. They might like I, I yeah, the parent might bring a child in, they don't look right, and then they go to the doctor, the pediatrician. Oh, I don't find anything. They seem fine. There's no fever. I've listened to them. Looked in their ears and throat. They're good. But then the parents like, yep, but they still don't look right like their their eyes are glazed they don't look like they usually do you see and it's like well how does this medical person explain that and it's like oh it's that light that spark of health you know and in osteopathy i feel like we in in integrated medicine we know how to to tend to that and get that flow of health going again yeah and so all these ideas is is are these the seeds that kind of led you to seek Dr. Andrew Wiles Integrative Medicine Fellowship after you finished your pediatrics residency? So I, um, in, I 
once I read, I, I had that idea about the placebo effect. And then I read Dr. Andrew Weil's book, Spontaneous Healing While I Was in Residency. And he, like chapter one, I think he's talked about placebo effect. And then he also talked about um, Dr. Fulford as well in that book. And so I, um, I was like, finally, somebody's talking about it in the same way I did. And I was like, I knew someone had to be because I was like, this is not, this is, is more like humanity and common sense. This is not like any, it's not rocket science. It's just, you know, being a kind person <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so um, that sort of led me to um, Dr. Andrew Wallace Integrative Medicine Fellowship. And I learned that term, integrative medicine. And then also during residency, I just felt like I was so stressed and I had reflux and I thought I might get sick. Uh, and then I was walking down the road and I looked up and I saw a yoga sign. And so I just walked up the steps to the yoga studio. And that was the first time I was like doing yoga. I learned how to meditate. And within three weeks, my digestion was better. I felt much calmer. The attendings even noticed the difference. The people in the emergency room noticed the difference. Um, the clerk said, why are you being calm when everyone's running around? And, and so I was like, wow, this was kind of relatively inexpensive. And this was something I learned to do my, for myself and I can continue to do for myself without medication. And I was like, why don't we teach this to people? So yeah. I kept going. Wow. What were some of the big takeaways from Dr. Weil's Integrated Medicine Fellowship that really impacted you maybe personally and your practice? Um, well, one was to walk the talk. So that healer, heal thyself mindset um, because they they had healthy food at conferences, which is amazing. And then at the hospital I trained at, we had a McDonald's at the first floor. And so <laughs> it was just like, okay, maybe aligning a bit more with health and expanding that therapeutic toolbox tremendously. So um, there's always more like you, you never really run out of options. It's just keep expanding your perspective of looking at it. So if something feels difficult or hard, don't keep pounding it expand your perspective, look, shift, look from a different angle, go, you know, and if there's any step, any opening that has some ease, step into that. Yeah. And it was in the integrative medicine fellowship where you came across, was that for the first time yes. osteopathic medicine? Yes. Um, we did strain counter strain with um, the late Dr. Harmon Myers and he was a beautiful teacher and loved working with my hands. And so from there, um, I, uh, after I finished the fellowship, I uh, joined, I started taking um, courses with the Osteopathic Cranial Academy, Southern's Cranial Teaching Foundation, because I knew cranial, um, at the time I was only seeing pediatrics and I knew, felt like cranial would just be such a great addition to that. Um, and when, I mean, my first cranial course, when I felt those rhythms and that music of the body, I, I knew it was what I was born to do because I had trained for years in music growing up. And I'd always wondered why I spent so much time studying that because I, it's not like I became a professional musician or even like main, did a bunch of gigs or maintained that um, music practice as I got older. But I knew because it was because I could feel vibration and frequency and rhythms. And it just felt so natural. And I was like, this is what I was born to feel and do. Wow. And you've been doing it ever since. Is, is that quite, is it a large part of your practice currently? Oh, yes. Um, the majority of the visit is with the cranial osteopathic treatment. And then everything else is to um, help with that. So we have homeopathic remedies, herbals, um, mind body, a bunch of supplements, nutrition, diet. Um, I can give them like in energy, mind body exercises, um, and I'll give like the, that example of like giving people their homework. So I'll always give people, I'll often give people like some, some very simple homework, like so easy, you, you can't turn it down. <laughs> and it's some, usually something relatively fun. Yeah, that's great. I can't believe Dr. Diamco, I knew the hour was going to go by so quickly. Oh, yes. It was so fun. <laughs> but I, you know, I definitely, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the, well, your book and as well the, the, the series, the course series that you have coming up in August, I believe, oh, the, the yeah. Dig On series. Yes. So both those things, my book will be 
maybe hopefully out later this week year it's um being edited right now it's called i am intuitive a multi-dimensional guide to embrace your inner light so it's to answer one of your first questions like how how do you get in touch with that intuition what does that mean to be intuitive so it will help people ground and center the body ground and center the mind ground and center spirit and how to access the intuition that compass of the body the mind and the spirit and there's it's very practical very accessible it had great feedback from the beta readers um and um yeah one of my beta readers invited me to his wedding so it was uh, i think very impactful in his life <laughs> <laughs> i'm like that is the best compliment ever <laughs> 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 so it was just such a big part of his his journey. Um, and then the other thing was our course um, that I'm co-directing with Dr. Jim Gatos, and it will be in Burlingame August 12th and 13th on the weekend. Um, this year, 2023, in Burlingame, California, it's part of the Dig On series. So this um, foundational course is Sensing and Releasing Emotional Shock, part one, because there's so much to it. So um, it's just really accessing like both those, the, both the conscious and subconscious patterns of emotional trauma that can be felt in the body's tissues and their structural associations. And you can um, really help people. You can perceive those very strained patterns just like you would in the bone fluid membrane. So we'll help you expand your perception to feel these other dimensions, help you perceive the emotional layers directly and integrate them into your osteopathic treatment and help you learn how to collaborate with the patient so that you can um, help these stuck emotional thought patterns flow again. And that's where the health is. The health is in the flow. So these, these stuck the stuck areas, even in these emotional layers, the mental layers, they provide a fulcrum of sorts um, to aid in the release of dramatic, visceral, emotional and thought disturbances. So you can start to see it's like, oh, it's just like we would the other layers, but it's just, it, you know, it's not... And I, everyone can learn to feel this because just like you learn to feel bone fluid membranes, so can you, the emotional layers. And by addressing these additional layers in our work, we can both speed up the treatment process as well as help patients access a greater depth of healing. So if anyone would like to learn more about that, please sign up for our um, newsletter on thedigonseries.com. You can message us there. You can read more about it there, and you can also register for it. And if you have any questions, I would love to um, speak with you. You can email us at thedigonseries at gmail.com. Great. Is, would it be okay if I included your email as well in the show notes if people would like to reach out to you with questions or comments? Yeah, or? absolutely. You can use the Dig On Series email. So again, thedigonseries at gmail.com. Okay. And um, I mean, I'm happy to share any of my other um, handles or anything else that you would like. Sure. That's great. So book coming out sometime this year and then the Dig On series part one happening in Burlingame, California, August 12th through the 13th. And that'll be part one of a multi-series course. Yes, I will do. It's really, I'd love for it to be a longer course, but just to give people an, an opportunity to make it really accessible, just a weekend, you don't have to um, take too much time off. And with just that one weekend alone, you'll be able to um, perceive these other layers and start to work with them. Great. Well, Dr. DeCamco, I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you you know, taking an hour out of your very busy schedule and time away from your family to share with, with us your clinical experience, your experience in medical school, and just how you have evolved as a person and a, as a physician. I greatly admire the work that you're doing and value how you, how you approach human health. I think it's so, it's, it's unique and it's an incredible gem for our for to treat people and to help people find that health so yeah thank you so much for for sharing that with us tonight thank you thanks again for having me and i really enjoyed talking to you yeah we'll, we'll have to have a round two because i feel like we're 
There's so uh, much more to talk about. The tip about. of the iceberg. <laughs> because like, oh, there's so much I want to talk about because we could really speed up um, student education too. Yeah. So we'll have, we'll, yeah. I mean, if you have a chance, we'll have to have uh, a uh, round two. So yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Well, thanks again. You have a, a wonderful weekend and a great evening. <laughs> you too. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Dr. Dihamko is so passionate about what she does. She sees patients for who they are and works with them to address their health from the perspective of the mind, body, and spirit. You can find Dr. Dihamko's email in the show notes, as well as a link to her website and the Dig On series. Sign up for her upcoming course, Sensing and Releasing Emotional Shock, Part 1. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's fourth episode of Philosteopathy, where we will discuss the article, The Timeless Teachings of A.T. Still by John Lewis. As always, leave us a review. And if you would like to be on the podcast, email me at the podcast at gmail.com.